Now tonight, uh, let us turn, please, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21. Chapter 21. <clears throat> and I've been reading you, I've read you from that 24th verse. We'll start there and read through. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise. When ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Now, beloved, I said tonight I was going to speak on the significance of the blowing of the ram's horn and why Christians ought to support Israel at the present time. On uh, Wednesday a week, when the Israeli soldiers took Jerusalem. Even while the soldiers were in the line of battle, they bowed at that wailing wall and kissed it. And then as soon as they, the battle had died down, one of the priests took a ram's horn and blew it. Last Monday night, I went down to Atlantic City with Ms. Mangtyre to attend this big rally that the Jews were sponsoring to raise money for Israel. They had put an immense ad in the Atlantic City press saying that this was a rally for Israel and to raise funds for it, and they invited everybody in the Christian community that had any interest or sympathy to come to that meeting. I felt that included me. So I announced on my noonday broadcast that I would go and attend that rally. I have never been to a meeting of this nature in my life. And I was very much concerned to see just what would happen. Ms. McIntyre and I went early because we thought that the place would be packed and jammed out and that we wouldn't be able to get a seat. But when we got there, this big auditorium they had in the hotel only had about 150 people there at 8 o'clock when the thing was supposed to start. And the most they ever had, I'm sure it was about 400, maybe they had a few more. 
And they had a big orchestra there playing some popular tunes, I guess, and some Jewish tunes. When the time came for the meeting to open, a very fine gentleman was in charge. He announced the purpose of the meeting and proceeded to introduce uh, the congressman from that area who made a typical political speech. He said what itching ears wanted to hear, I'm sure. And they gave him applause, and then when we stood up for just a moment, he slipped out like most politicians do, and he was gone. But then they introduced a gentleman who was not an American citizen. He was an Israeli who had been associated with the embassy in Washington of the Israeli embassy. And he made a magnificent address. I couldn't believe my ears that a man was up there saying these things about the homeland, about their going back. He said that in all the four days of war, that the most significant event of the whole time was the blowing of the ram's horn. The blowing of the ram's horn. He said, now they were in possession of the holy city. He said they could now go to the wailing wall, and he said for the first time in 2,000 years, the Jews have possession of the wailing wall, which was all that was left of Solomon's great temple. For me to sit in that meeting, and I might say there was one other pastor there that we know, he sat alongside of me and his wife, and there were only six people that I knew there who weren't Jews. I did see one Negro, just one colored man. No other preachers, no other groups at all. There they were. And I had the strangest sensation go over me as that Israeli government official told the assembled Jews of Atlantic City in that community that they had taken possession of the holy city. And that for the first time in 2,000 years, that means when Titus, the Roman emperor, destroyed Jerusalem, they now have it in their hand. And he stood there and he says, we do not ever intend to give it up again. And they just applauded and applauded and applauded and applauded. And I saw a sentiment in the heart and the expression of this Jewish community in support of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And then he proceeded to say, and this was most interesting, beloved, most interesting indeed. He said that they were not going to submit their problem to the United Nations, that they wanted the United Nations to leave them alone that they weren't interested in the United Nations. They'd settle their problems and their boundary disputes with the Arabs directly. And they, he gave them to understand that no matter what the United Nations might do, it would not influence them. They were keeping what they had now received into their hands. And when he made this attack upon the United Nations, I thought, what in the world is happening to the Jewish community? What in the world is going on? And they just applauded him and applauded him and applauded him. And then he proceeded to describe for them the speed and the brilliance of the military maneuvers which in one short week had completely changed the whole political situation in the Middle East. 
In fact, he made reference to some of the Old Testament battles and he likened the swift, speedy victory whereby they had been delivered to the way in which God had delivered the children of Israel in Old Testament times. I heard that man stand up there and talk like that. Of course, as far as I was concerned, I was thrilled that the Israeli took things in hand. Beloved, when they were confronted with the threats of Nasser backed by the communists that he would drive them into the sea and he would annihilate their tiny little country, they weren't sitting back and say, well, if we make a move, Russia might drop an atom bomb, so we better try to negotiate. Did they think in terms like that? Of course not. They took the situation in hand when Nasser made his first move. And do you know that, uh, that uh, Israeli gentleman went on to explain that they, in their study of the military situation, knew that they were outnumbered in every single area. More tanks, more planes, more men, more everything. They knew that they were completely outnumbered, but he said that they were able, by their study, to find the blind spots in the radar of the Egyptians. And there were two blind spots in the radar of the Egyptians, not as it directed toward Israel, but the blind spots were on the side out toward the Mediterranean. So he said our planes detoured, got out of the range of the radar, came in in the blind gaps of the radar of the Egyptians, and went in and completely destroyed their planes on the ground. Now, that's what he said. And he explained that they were able to get in there, and he said they were just 30 minutes ahead of the Egyptians in that area. They completely annihilated the Egyptian air power by that device and that scheme. Now, isn't that magnificent? Isn't that thrilling? How this tiny little power, this tiny little nation, with all the might of Egypt, all the might of Russia, all that against him, and all these threatenings, and here was this great big Nasser boasting, we're going to drive you into the sea, and everybody wondering what was going to happen to tiny little Israel, and they figured out a blind spot in the radar that reflected out toward the Mediterranean there toward the north, and they were to mo able to move their speedy planes around in and come in the little blind gap and destroy the Israeli planes on the ground. I wish you people could have been there. In fact, I think you ought to go to one or two of these Jewish meetings. You'd learn something. You'd be informed. But what delighted my heart was that when he turned and he said, of all the events, it was the blowing of the ram's horn. Now, beloved, I read you this story in Joshua tonight. The ram, of course, was one of the beasts that they had. And in the Old Testament, they dyed the skins of the ram's horn, of the ram, and put them over the... Over the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the description is there, of course, in Exodus and Leviticus. But the ram had two horns, and the Jews took these horns and made a horn like a trumpet. It's also called a trumpet in the Old Testament. And in Joshua's going into Jericho to take possession of the land of Canaan, Joshua went into Jericho, he crossed the Jordan River, and here was the city of Jericho, and God said, Joshua, get your men in array, get ready now. I'm going to give you the city. I'm going to let you take possession of this land of promise, this land of Canaan. And when you go in there, get these seven priests, and you line them up, and give every one of them a ram's horn, and let them circle the city and blow that ram's horn. Let the 
cry of that ram's horn be heard through the Jordan Valley. And then the second day and the third day and then on the seventh day, go around that city seven times, blowing the ram's horn. And then when you hear the shouts of the people, and I'll tell you when this shout Joshua said, you get the victory. And the walls of Jericho fell down flat and there was a complete victory. And that ram's horn throughout all the history of Israel symbolized the note of triumph, the note of victory. It had other meetings also, of course. But it did, sim did symbolize that. And I want to say to you people that when they had taken possession of Jerusalem by the strategy that this little group had, and in God's providence he let them go back and take possession of that holy city, the first thing they did was to blow that ram's horn. And this man down here in Atlantic City said that of all the significant events of that day was the blowing of the ram's horn. Oh, you turn through the Old Testament, it's everywhere, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of the Weeks, all of these great instances where they summon people to prayer, they summon them to the temples, they summon them to worship. It was the ram's horn. And the ram's horn was heard. And furthermore, in the providences of God, as I was listening and trying to monitor these things as I did, I was pleased to hear a broadcast from Jerusalem in which the commentator said, you will hear the blowing of the ram's horn, and then you heard this ram's horn. And some of you may have heard it, and by means of radio it went about the earth. <clears throat> this last week, the New York Times came out on Tuesday with this tremendous front page picture with thousands of these Jews coming into the old city, going to the Wailing Wall. They cleaned off a whole city block, they said, of all these shacks that the Arabs had there. And they gathered about that, about that uh, uh, Wailing Wall or the Solomon's Wall, as they call it. And the New York Times said that there was a word, an expression there, which reverberated back through the crowd. David, the king, lives. David, the king, lives. They're going back to Jerusalem. They've taken possession of the city. And our Savior said that during these days there would be signs in the moon. You better get ready for a few more earthquakes. You better get fixed up for them. We're going to see some startling things take place in the heavens. They're going to take place. Man's moving out there with these rockets and something could very easily happen. And in verse 28, we read here, or rather verse 27, men's hearts failing them for fear. And it's this fear which is leading our people to retreat. But it was this fear that led the Israelis to victory. They stepped out and won this magnificent victory. And then verse 27, they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. They shall see the Son of Man. And beloved, on the authority of this Holy Scripture and everything that it says, I can tell you people tonight the coming of Jesus Christ is very near. The coming of the one whom we worship, the one in whose name we live, is very, very near at hand. Jesus Christ is coming with a cloud, with power, and with great glory. Last Sunday night, as I brought my message to a close, I had reached that point, and I'd like to pick it up just here and go on with you for just a moment in these regards. 
I'd reached that point in the 11th chapter of uh, the book of Romans, and I've asked you to read especially Romans 9, 10, and 11. These are the three great chapters that the Gentiles need to be reading so far as the New Testament is concerned. But will you turn, please, to that 11th chapter of Romans for just a moment? And I'd like to develop this thought because we've reached this moment here at this point where Jesus Christ says, Then shall ye see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, or coming in a cloud of heaven. But in the 11th chapter, at the close of the 11th chapter, on verse 26 we read, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. The good olive branches were broken off. The wild olive branches have been grafted in, and that's who we are. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father. Say, God has a purpose. God has a program. God has an outline here for them. Now, where I had reached last Sunday night in our consideration of this was the point where all these armies are together, together against Jerusalem. The Battle of Armageddon will certainly be at its height. And the city is to be taken. A great section of them are to be carried off. A few are still to be left. And all the nations of the world are to be against them. And at that moment, then Jesus Christ appears in the heavens. He's unveiled his apocalypse. And he will come to be their deliverer. I pointed out to you that Jesus left this earth from the top of the Mount of Olives. If you'll hold this passage in Romans for just a minute, turn over to Zechariah, the 14th chapter, if you will, please great prophecy of Zechariah. In fact, this whole prophecy of Zechariah now is, is something that we ought to be really studying and, and looking at. But in this 14th chapter of Zechariah, uh, verse 2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And with the lineup that we have right now, here are the communist powers. It's Kasigan in New York. Castro's coming up there too. Don't anybody tell anybody that the Russians are divided with the communists. They're all going to be on the same side up there this week. Uh, the communists behind the Arabs joining with the Arab world against Israel. And now they're going to try to get the nations in the General Assembly to denounce Israel, make demands upon Israel. And it looks as though even the United States might be willing to go along with something like that. The New York Times yesterday told us that the United States ought to work out an agreement with Russia and that only the United States could force the Jews to, to give up and to make the necessary concessions that would bring peace in the Middle East. So right now the pressure is going to be on the United States to force the Jews to make these retreats. And it could very easily be in the very near future, the way this thing's heading up with the United Nations, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the city shall not be cut off from the city, 
for the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Now, if you'll just look back a little further in this Zechariah passage when you get to all this literalness, will you turn to chapter 11, please, verse 12. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And they took the thirty pieces of silver and passed them and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. What were those thirty pieces of silver? That is a clear, unmistakable prediction of the betrayal of Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and Matthew in the New Testament says so. And furthermore, there is the purchase of the potter's field there. They cast it under the potter, and it was to fulfill that particular passage that the Jews who had the money took it and bought the potter's field. Well, now, if that was literally fulfilled, if that actually took place and was literally fulfilled, it's not figurative. Thirty pieces of silver was thirty pieces of silver. And that's what they brought the Lord Jesus for. That's what they betrayed him for. And that's in Zechariah, the 11th chapter. And you can go on with these other passages here. But now you come to the great section about Jerusalem. You come now to this great section about the Mount of Olives. And, beloved, Jesus Christ will return and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives and he will come as a deliverer as a deliverer to Israel. He'll come to deliver them from the assault and from the attack of all the nations against Israel as she occupies Jerusalem. Now will you turn with me to the 12th chapter? To the 12th chapter. And notice along about uh, the 7th verse, the 8th verse along in there. And the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as whom? David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. Beloved, when I read the New York Times on Tuesday, and heard that they were singing at the Wailing Wall, David the King lives, David the King lives. David, that went rolling through that crowd of thousands of Jews as they came into the city of Jerusalem, and there they were crying out, and notice this, the Lord shall save them, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. Now it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. You know, I ought to take some Sunday and preach a sermon on Jerusalem. You folks need to have all this story about Jerusalem gathered up as we see the city, finally, till we get the holy city. Just the story of Jerusalem. 
I will gather all nations, he said. I will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, that one as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Before I develop that, will you turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Revelation? The very first chapter of the book of Revelation. Beloved, I'm handling a holy book. It is the infallible word of God that our fathers have believed and loved all these centuries. Now will you turn to the first chapter. John to the seven churches in Asia. This is verse 4. Grace, mercy, and peace. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the first and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Beloved, here are these magnificent passages that speak of Jerusalem, the Jews will have possession of it. The nations are going to gather to drive them out. The Son of God is going to appear in that hour. They'll look upon him whom they have pierced. And just as Jesus Christ appeared unto Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul said, Who art thou? Lord! That multitude of Jews gathered in that city with all this opposition, with all this worldwide persecution, with all the hatred that will have been accumulated against them, there will appear this one with healing in his wings. And when they see him, they shall look upon him. He shall have the nail prints in his hands. And this is the one whom Jerusalem rejected. This is the one who was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And now in the final climax, as we get down to the end of the great tribulation period, we're going to be caught out as the bride of Christ any day we can leave now, beloved. We'll be caught out into the presence, and this whole thing is going to shape up. And in that final hour, they're going to look upon him, and they're going to mourn, and they're going to weep, and they're going to wail that he has been the Messiah all these centuries and all these years. And at last they've seen him in his glory. He is David's greater son. David the prince is alive. David the king is alive. And here he comes out of the heavens to bring deliverance. And we look here that all the nations of the earth, he'll take in his hands the reins of political and military and economic and world power. And he shall reign and rule upon this earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is none other than Jesus, the virgin-born Son of Mary. This is none other than the one who died on the cross for our sins. This is none other than the one that we're offering you tonight to be your Savior and the one who can give you everlasting life. This is Jesus Christ, 
the Son of the living God, who came to this world that he might redeem us. And God ordained that Abraham would be our father, for the promises are unto him and to his children. And it was by faith that Abraham was saved. It's by faith that we've been saved and we've been engrafted into the root and the marrow and we partake of these great blessed promises that God's given to Israel concerning eternity and the blessings that will be bestowed upon Israel. And there will be a day, beloved, there will be a day when every single individual upon this earth, Jew and Gentile, and all the nations of the earth shall roll because of this one who has all power in heaven and in earth. And he, when he left this earth, commissioned his disciples to go out and preach this message to sinners that they might be saved. And tonight as we come to the close of this dispensation of which we're a part, it's the dispensation of grace into which we've come. As we come to the close of this period, I want to say to you tonight that the hearts of Jews are tender and they're open. And they are ready to receive this message of life. They're hungry for something. And we have the message of that true Messiah which we may present to them that they may be saved. And may I say to the Gentiles listening to me tonight, I say to you, beloved, your day is short. In fact, Jerusalem is no longer trodden down of the Gentiles. The Jews have it in their possession tonight. And all the history of God's dealing with the Gentiles is now coming to an end. And I say to you Gentiles, you come to Christ and you find in him your Redeemer and your Savior. For it is by faith that you will be saved. And I say to every Christian who in this present moment knows the Lord and believes the gospel and has tasted of this salvation and knows what it is to possess everlasting life. I say to you, beloved, tonight, let's go out and not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Let's go out and preach his word. Let's go out and testify to those about us and say, look at Jerusalem. Look at what is happening to the Jews. Look at what God has promised. This is in fulfillment of his promises. And let's take the book and let's look at the Bible and let's see that he will come and his feet will stand in that day upon the mountain of armies which is before Jerusalem on the east. My, what a privilege it is to believe the Bible tonight. What a joy it is to be a preacher of the word tonight and to beseech men everywhere to repent of their sins and to ask God to have mercy on them because of their sin and beseech Jesus Christ to give them faith and grace to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. O oh, beloved, upon us the very ends of the ages have come. Here's apostasy. Look at our little struggle. Look at our little trials. Look at what's happening. Here we are in the midst of it. To see all this deflection, all this ungodliness, all this unbelief flooding us about. And yet in the midst of it here, God in an overturn, and may I say to you people, you dear people tonight, the speed with which Israel moved in and took possession of the holy city and the way in which she moved and shocked the world, remember, beloved, it's with the same speed, it's with the same suddenness that these great events are going to accumulate in the end time. We're living in the midst of tremendous moments when God will intervene and when men cry, Peace and safety! Then come a sudden destruction. 
and the Son of God will come. And he shall come with his bride. He shall come with his church. I don't believe there's a single thing that's necessary now to be completed except just the church. That's all. The elect of God, he has a bride. And as soon as that's perfected, we're taking leave of this place. We're going. We're going to leave. Oh, Jesus Christ said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Here it is. Look at that 21st chapter. Just look at those words. And let them burn themselves into your soul tonight, beloved. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And oh, beloved, when they see him as he is, and behold, his riven side and his nail-pierced hand. They're going to weep and mourn. And here in this gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is warning us, and he says in verse 29, And he spake unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. Beloved, just a few weeks ago, our buds began to come out. I think maybe this possibly applies to Collingswood more than anywhere else because we never have any spring here. We go from winter to summer. We don't have much of a spring. The buds come and then it's humidity and we're all hot. But notice how the Lord says, Summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation, and more and more, you see, of course, it's been the teaching, this generation means this Jewish people, this, this race here, this generation shall not pass away, and he's kept them through these 2,000 years, shall till, till all be fulfilled. They shall not pass away till all these things are being fulfilled, and they are being fulfilled before our very eyes. And then our Savior said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And what he has said about Jerusalem and what he has said here in this marvelous revelation concerning his coming and concerning the signs of the end time, let them bless your soul. Let them renew and nourish your faith. Let them be unto you an anchor in the midst of the turmoil and the strife in which we find ourselves. Let this be the delight and the comfort and as I said, beloved, let's give this. Let them talk about them. Let them talk about us. Let them call us what they will. But let beseech men to come to Christ. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you think some of you people better get out of these apostate churches before the Lord comes and finds you there? I certainly have to hurt, hate to be in one of them when he came to get me. Don't you think some of you people better give up some of your worldly practices and turn aside from these things? Oh, beloved, the little remnants such as we represent tonight when I saw those Jews down there. You know how much money they raised down there that night? 400 Jews raised $200,000. My, oh, my. And I heard these men get up as they made their pledges, and this man said, 
I've lost my family and I lost my brothers and I lost my folks. You never heard such a story of wailing and sorrow as one after another explained. And we Christians, we Christians don't know what suffering is. We're going to suffer. We're a part of the remnant today and we will suffer. But the Orthodox Jew which believes his Old Testament and the fundamental Christian, which believes the whole Bible, have an awful lot in common right now. It is this truth which will lead all of us to Christ, that we might be saved. I, I can understand as I look about the liberal Jews, the apostate Jews, the liberal Protestants, the apostate Protestants. Here they go on their merry way thinking they're going to run everything and rule everything and they got all these amazing ideas that they're going to put together. And all of a sudden over here a little group of Jews over there in Israel stands up against Nasser and the communist world and they just completely defy them. And then when they go into Jerusalem it's the ram's horn they pick up and blow. And when they go into Jerusalem, it's David the prince. David the king lives. And they're going back and here they are at the wailing wall. Here they are crying for deliverer, deliverer, deliverer. I want you to hear the message next Sunday night because the answer of the prayers at the wailing wall is Jesus Christ. He's the answer to the prayers that go up from the wailing wall. A deliverer, a deliverer, a Messiah. Someone, someone to come and help us. And the answer from the wall of Solomon's temple is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us pray. Our Father, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And we pray tonight, if there are those who are listening, that the Christians may stand behind Israel now as she possesses this city and may she keep it. And we thank thee that we've been able to help them just a little this week and to encourage them. And may they all understand our love, our goodwill, our understanding of their troubles. And Lord God of heaven and earth, be with this congregation as we carry on our own ministry here. May many come out of the apostasy and join us and be a part of us and bear the reproaches of these days. And our Father, be with us next Sunday especially. Be with us this week in the many things that must be done. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. For Christ's sake, amen.